and welcome to Life on Point. My name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors here at Connection Point Church. Hey, do us a humongous favor. Whatever you're listening to us or however you're watching us, hey, give us a five-star review. Give us a thumbs up. Share, comment. Do all those things to help the algorithm find us so we can keep getting this information out there. And today... We have a special guest and we have a special conversation about a subject matter that's kind of deep. It can get kind of interesting. It can get over your head, but we're going to try to make it on a floor level. We're going to try to be basic with it, but it's something that we're going to dig into about the canonization of the scripture or how the Bible came to be what we have today. And with me today is... Hey, I'm Pastor Chris here at CPC. <laughs> Usually you always tell him who I am. It's okay. I'm letting him because he's going to introduce himself. Yeah. Hey, I'm David Hilliard. I'm uh, newly on staff. I'm the Discipleship Pathway Director. And, and we're so excited you're here. This is your first time being with us on the podcast. and Throwing him into the fire. Excited to be That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in charge of all our groups, you know, teaching the Bible, so... Yeah. You're the perfect guest to come today. All right. Well, I'm ready, I think. <laughs> yeah, David has a vast knowledge of a lot of things that applies to the history and the and the and the Bible in and of itself. He's a great resource. So if you ever see him around church and you want to ask somebody a pertinent question about the Bible, hit him up. Uh, and he's a he's got a great mind. So we're gonna find out how great that mind is today. <laughs> and so as we said today, we're gonna be talking about the uh, the canonization process. And we all know it can you could we could talk for like days on this, um, but we're not. And but if you had a if we want to go ahead and we'll just step back into the Old Testament because I know it's a lot more convoluted and complicated to talk about, and then we'll get into the New Testament, which I know uh, is there's a lot more assuredly there. Um, and so when it comes to the canon or what we now have as the the Old Testament as we call it in the Christian Bible, uh, at least the, the Reformed Christian Bible. Um, if you had a, in a, if you had to nutshell it a little bit and look at it, how it would, we'll start with you. Uh, he says thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. If like we know there, uh, we know there are X amount of authors in there. We know all the different things, um, and but how did it, in your opinion or your thoughts and your studies, did it come into being? Well. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the scriptures is the collective writings right. of the prophets of God, mm-hmm. and they would have been accepted throughout the centuries among the Jewish religious leaders. They would have been taught orally most of the right. time through uh, the rabbis and the priests. Uh, we know that Moses was the author of the first five books. the The Jewish people held to that extremely yeah, valuable, even to this day. The Torah, we, they would call it the Torah, the five books. And then, of course, then you have minor prophets, mm-hmm. historical writings, and the, the Psalms. Interesting thing about this is we know that most, not all, but most of what we today uh, consider the Old Testament was already accepted as Scripture mm-hmm. by the first century. Uh, the divisions weren't there, not in the same realm as what we think of the divisions in the Scriptures today in the Old Testament. But it's interesting when you look at Luke uh, 24, mm-hmm. Jesus himself refers to the Old Testament on the day of his resurrection while he is explaining to the disciples and he says, do you remember 
how I told you. Uh, and he actually, Jesus, breaks up the Old Testament into three major divisions mm. like we do today. And he says in the, in the prophets and in the Psalms and, you know, and, and you read this and you're like, wait a minute. Jesus identified the very divisions that we go back to now with the canon of the Old Testament and go, right there they are. And Jesus said, all of these speak of me. So even the Old Testament is pointing to the Messiah. Very good. I know I'm, I think I'm the only one at this table that came from a, a non-church background. So I was an atheist um, until my 30s. And so I had a lot of, uh, and I'll be honest, um, and this may be this may be applicable to some of you guys who are who are listening and watching. Um, one of the things that bothered me a lot uh, when people would try to to convince me of the of the authority, validity, or the uh, or whatever it was of of the Bible, they would utilize the Bible to, yeah. to, to make that argument. Right. And I'm not, right. I'm just going to ask you guys. The Bible so, speaks of the Bible, right? So yeah. where, where would David, where would that, how would you have that conversation with somebody? Yeah. I mean, the Bible is the authority in itself. Yeah. And we acknowledge that that's our position. And a lot of times, you know, you're, you're left with, well, the reason that we hold the authority of scripture is that, Jesus, the apostles, the early church fathers held what was said there as absolute truth, mm -hmm. as fact. I mean, Jesus is constantly referring to, to a number of the books of the Old Testament. You see Matthew yeah. going in and looking at all these prophecies concerning, concerning Jesus and his coming. Um, to, to step away from the authority of, of Scripture— without using scripture is, is a challenge. It's a difficulty. Mm -hmm. I'll admit that. I've, I've always come back to the fact that, that Jesus and his apostles using this as the authority that it is. And every time you go to it, I, I'm just amazed every time they, they have an archeological discovery yeah. or something that simply, um, just affirms yeah. what we find in scripture. Mm -hmm. And, and to me, that's just evidence in and of itself outside of scripture is that you can't find anything that refutes it. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of it goes to historical confirmations, the yeah. affirmations rather, right? You know, I quoted a moment ago out of Luke chapter 24, where Jesus says, you look at the law of Moses, mm. the Psalms, and the prophets, yep. and uh, they all speak of me. He he says out of those three major sections of the Old Testament, they're all affirming to the Messiah. They don't contradict each other. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> they all have something to say. Um, and what a lot of folks may not truly grasp in their mind, because in our culture we carry around a Bible, right, and it's one volume. When we're talking about the scriptures for the early believers, they didn't yeah. have one volume. No. These are all individual scrolls. Right. And so you got to think now you've got individual scrolls, and Jesus says, 
Go to those scrolls, the law of Moses. Go to those scrolls, the Psalms. Go to those scrolls, the law of the or the prophets, rather, and find out that each one of them is is affirming the other. And you you with one without the other, something's missing. They complete each other. Uh, you go to the New Testament; it is the exact same. And then when you study, and I know you've done a lot of study on this, David, the early writings of the first church oh, yeah. outside of Scripture, mm -hmm. they actually created a list of here's how we apply these Scriptures to Christian life. So you look back over history and you see Scripture affirming other Scripture, scroll to scroll, mm -hmm. and then the lives of the early Christians going back to those scriptures and saying, this is what we're going to conduct our lives by. This is how we live our life based on these scriptures, these scrolls. And so their actions bring affirmation as well. Scripture upon scripture, and then the actions of the early disciples. Bounce a little bit into the New Testament. We're not there yet, but I will, because when you said it, it reminded me of something that I learned years ago, and it's true. If you could take the first century church fathers, uh, the first 100 years after Christ's uh, ascension, the uh, if you if we didn't have a Bible, if there were no none of the uh, of the earliest aspects of the canton, the parchments and everything that we found, if we didn't find the Dead Sea Scrolls, none of those things existed. Just in the uh, the teachings, the writings, the uh, the messages, the sermons of those church fathers included every word of the New Testament minus I think it was six Bible verses, mm -hmm. and so it is amazing mm -hmm. that it has been collected that way. But back to the Old Testament, it's funny we're having this conversation today uh, for and because on this day, this morning, I actually had I went to a uh, and talked with a a, a fellow who's who was who considers himself an atheist at the max. Agnostic, uh, at the at the least, and uh, and he's in a and he's within a Christian organization uh, trying to get well, and uh, and so he's hearing a lot of things and he's confused and he heard I was an atheist so he wanted me to come talk to him, and so I did, and so we were talking, and he asked a question because he wanted to know and I didn't ask him to ask this but he asked him about the Bible. Um, about, you know, you guys don't even agree on what belongs in there, right? Right, right. And he used the Apocrypha, because <laughs> I think he came from okay. he came from a, uh, a, a certain a walk of the faith uh, that uses the Apocrypha quite extensively. And so he asked that, me that question, why was it not mm. included? And I had an answer for him, because I wasn't expecting that question, to be That's honest. Good. But uh, the, uh, and, and for me, when I look at it, um, and what I told him, like even the Apocrypha answers that question, actually, because you look at the Maccabees and then if you even look into the writings of Josephus later on, who's not part of the Apocrypha, but he was a Jewish leader and a writer and historian. And there's two other places within the Apocrypha that it tells you why they, they were waiting on the words or the presence of a prophet. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever the uh, in first Maccabees. Whenever they uh, when they tore the temple down after it had been defiled by the the Gentiles, they went and tore it all. They tore down the the uh, the uh, they ripped down the altar and everything in order to clean it out. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't know what to do with the stones that were involved. And so they 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 believed there were some certain ritual they needed to do, but they didn't know. Mm -hmm. and so they simply, according to the Maccabees, we buried them in the earth until a prophet could tell us what to do. Mm -hmm. So what I told him is, and from everything I've read. 
uh, Malachi was the last living prophet that existed before Christ came, or John, I guess technically, and uh, and so uh, so that is to me why they're not included because they are they are are they historical and relevant. Are they good references? Yes, I, you can learn from them. I've I've learned from uh, several of those resources. But are they inspired? I said they are not inspired. So, anyways. Well, and I think it's I think it is a good thing that you said there as well. I think it's key for uh, folks, especially from a more reformed background, mm-hmm. where maybe we we never grew up yep. reading, studying the apocrypha, and we automatically say, "Oh, no, no, you can't read those." There's nothing wrong with reading. In fact, you see early church fathers referencing back to some of those letters, but not as scripture. Right. And the key is no prophet was writing them. Exactly right. Because there is a criteria for every book that has been accepted into the canon of scripture. There is a set of criteria that they have extensively went through. I mean, there is there's one thing that we can all be confident in. No book is in the Bible accepted as scripture uh, that was just thrown in there. Mm, Every book in there was extensively, and some of them for years studied and validated and verified who the author was, that they were circulated among the early believers and so on before they were accepted. Yeah, one of the things that um, I think really put the, the... limitations on what Old Testament is, and that was Jesus. You've already mentioned the, mm-hmm. the one passage from Luke 24, right, that Jesus confined the scriptures that he was referring to that talked about him to be the law, the uh, prophets, and then the writings or the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And But there's also another binding of limits, and he says it in Luke 11. I find it interesting in Luke 11, Jesus says that basically from, and you mentioned the prophets, he goes from the blood of Abel mm-hmm. to the blood of Zechariah. And and Zechariah's death is recorded for us in Second Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And anything after that time window doesn't appear to be anywhere referenced in scriptures. Mm. There's no reference to any of the other books that we're talking about in the Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. So the, the the limitations on the Old Testament, I think, were set into place by Christ mm-hmm. with with those two deaths. And yeah. then anything, the, the silent years, what we understand yeah. them to be in between, are until the next prophet, John, John. John the Baptist, being that yeah, next prophet, is brought up. Right. Through God, through the Holy Spirit, to then start that clock of the the New Testament. What we're going to talk about is the New Testament, mm-hmm. and so um, yeah, I just find that uh, uh, Jesus you, is the you one. You know, those words aren't there in, in chapter eleven by accident, right? Right, right. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, here is Christ, the author of the word, saying from Abel to Zechariah, and it's so powerful that that is actually listed in Scripture. I know sometimes it can be complicated um, because the uh, the, the uh, they didn't have chapter verses in the in whenever they were reading these things, right. um, and of course it was an oral it came it was an oral tradition for literally millennia before it became written, and uh, and so there's some things that we may we may have written them down in a way that 
can convolute some things, not on purpose. They're just there in order to help us memorize and study and become better acquainted with them. You just mentioned something you know, by timeline. The, the Old Testament, the best of your knowledge, is not necessarily laid down in some perfect linear and uh, linear way, right? And if that people don't need to allow that to confuse them, right, right, right. yeah, it's not that um, these writings came in like this certain chronological. You had to address this here. God was speaking through His prophets, mm-hmm. both to them and about His coming Son. Mm-hmm. And and so the focus of the Old Testament is always pointing to Christ. Mm-hmm. It's always pointing to for what with, for them was a future event. Now for us going back and looking, we can yeah. see that come to completion. Mm-hmm. And that's why one of my favorite passages um, is about Jesus mm-hmm. walking with two disciples right after his oh, yeah. his ascension. Yeah. And he's yeah. walking down that road, and, and that's a Bible study. I tell people that uh, have studied under me, I, I wish I could have been a part of Oh, absolutely. Just to hear, because he says he explained mm-hmm. about himself yep. through the Scriptures. And, and he's not talking about the New Testament. No, he he's walked talking about the, the whole Old, Old Testament. The whole Old Testament, just to, to explain to these two disciples. It made him. the Scriptures come alive. Yeah. <laughs> and seeing the Messiah... In passages they never seen the Messiah before. Mm. I think it's important for everyone to understand that, you know, yes, human authors pinned it down, right. but Peter would go on to say, but they were led along or moved by the Holy Spirit. So truly the Holy Spirit's the author of the book. That's right. And that's the only way you could truly explain how we have the Bible and why the Bible is still today the most trusted resource on the planet. Uh, because you think about this, and I'm I'm playing your role for a moment. Mm-hmm. I'm getting to throw out a question. <laughs> Go for it. So, uh, but you think about it. Scripture is written by more than forty authors yep. over fifteen hundred year period, three different languages in three different distinct areas, countries, whatever, and yet it is it's continents in yep. three different continents yep. and. Yet, which is mind-boggling to me already, <laughs> there's not a book on the planet that can fit that those perimeters and yet have any cohesion whatsoever. Oh, yeah. So let me ask you guys. We've already affirmed it had to be written along by the Holy Spirit. There's no way it could happen. So because of that, though, a lot of skeptics will say you've got books from 40 authors, 1,500 years, three languages, three continents, there's no way you can say, oh, I'm going to pick. Are you just picking and choosing? What is some of that criteria of how the actual books were accepted into the canon? Go ahead, David. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, with the New Testament, that's a lot easier. It's way easier. Answer. I know. I was thinking <laughs> yeah. the same thing. I'm like, Old Testament. Um, good question. And uh, See why I threw the question out? I mean, I know the yeah. answer, but it's. I like to see you answer it. Yeah, so for the Old Testament, again, there, there was the authority given by yeah. who used it. And right. with the time of Jesus and his apostles, it was were these works referenced by Jesus or his apostles? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's not that the other books that we mentioned, it's not like the apocryphal books aren't, aren't good for study. And, and that's just it. They're good for study. 
we have other books that are good for study as well. But, but for the Old Testament, the test really came down to um, what was recognized by the first century. Because there's nothing that's added after that. Obviously, the, the Old Testament canon is closed, uh, depending on your, your view of the Apocrypha. And, and you mentioned that we have debates even within Christendom yep. about whether or not these books should be included. Right. Um, and uh, the reason that there's nothing that in the apocryphal books that adds to the message of the gospel. That's right. And, and with the, with the scriptures to be about pointing to Christ, mm-hmm. there's nothing that's found in those books. And that's why Jesus, I think used the law the writing or the prophets and the writings yes. as his affirmation. And in the, the, the books outside of that window just don't fall into that category. Mm-hmm. And to piggyback on that, if you're going to ask, answer the question of why would a Jewish person or Hebrew or Israelite in, in, in living during the time of, of Isaiah would accept these things. Um, I mean, I think it comes down to kind of what we've said a million times. Um, you just said it again. You had the law, you had the, the 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 Psalms, and you had the prophets. Well, who are these people? The Holy Spirit's not a New Testament invention, right? Right, and they exactly. recognized that the Holy Spirit was the only thing that could authorize mm-hmm. those things, right? It says it in the Bible. It says it was Samson. You know, the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so they recognized the the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, which they is did. interesting. People don't talk about that very often, and it was the Holy Spirit that authorized those prophets and, and and that's why they were recognized as prophets because the people saw in them the Holy Spirit of God moving and speaking right. and that qualified it. Right. And because it was spoken by prophet, it was quality. And that also, then you have David and you have Moses or the other two people you're talking about. Well, mm-hmm. both of them though also uh, ex- leaders on a, another level and, and revered within the uh, Israeli culture. They're also both considered prophets. Right. And so by virtue that a prophet could only speak through by way of the Holy Spirit, right. which in, it qualified everything that came out of their mouth, or at least as it was recorded as Scripture. Well, not only did they have to be speaking from the Lord, you know, of course, you, know, you read you read in the Old Testament, of course, yep. they're always saying, thus saith the Lord, right? Yep. Um, and, and the sad thing is a lot of people still today want to go around saying, thus, thus saith the, the Lord, Lord. Yep. but they're not speaking Scripture. Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's key for people to understand too, that even in when people were speaking from the Lord, they were still investigated. Oh yeah. It wasn't just taken lightly that Isaiah was speaking from the Lord or Jeremiah. I mean, the people for years didn't accept Jeremiah's words. They arrested him. Right. Of course. Instead, but (laughs) (laughs) nobody likes Jeremiah. (laughs) Nope. But his words came true. Yep. They were validated. Yeah, while he was in exile, and then he had to be accepted. <laughs> yeah, right. And so right. I think it's important to know that you know it's it's anointed of the Holy Spirit. And man, I wish people would gather this today. But it's not just thus saith the Lord. There was a validation. And what's what's cool about that also is, and you kind of just kind of walked around it. Daniel, who was a pro- recognized prophet, he talks about Jeremiah, mm-hmm. and the other prophets reference would reference other. one another yes. quite often, actually. Yes. And so there's another validation, right? Because they recognize the title of prophet in the nation of Israel, or within after the after the nation split in in uh, Judea, 
And so they recognized who the prophets were, and they adhered to one another, quoted one another. Uh, and and I know some people might say, because I know as a former atheist, I would throw this around. Um, and when just because I knew most Christians wouldn't have this answer, it's like, well, Nehemiah wasn't a prophet, but because he didn't write it, Ezra did, and he was a prophet. Yeah. <laughs> see, see, again, that gets, that gets down to how we detailed things out. We right. as we wrote it out, it got attributed later, like a lot later, to right. to Nehemiah. It just made it easier right. for people because it's about the, the 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 workings of Nehemiah, right. what he did, but it technically wasn't written by him, right. and so it was still written by a prophet. So we got we got validation. Any other key pieces that you want to throw out here for how they accept? We mustn't not hit the one he's looking for. Okay. <laughs> so tell us a wise yeah, one. No, I mean, no, <laughs> you, you did you did great because they do need to know that they were validated. You kind of hit on it, and you just did too. They had to be written for scripture to be accepted. It had to be written by a prophet right. or an apostle. Yeah. The validation piece comes in is that. They had to have been widely accepted by believers within the first 100 years after the time of Christ. Mm -hmm. So we know that what that first group of believers, when we're studying the book of Acts, as we are in our church right now, those believers believed these words to be Scripture. Right. You go to Scripture, you you see Peter quoting Paul. You have Paul quoting Peter and Luke and the Psalms to second Timothy, right? Which is amazing to me that, uh, you know, Luke wrote his gospel and then shortly thereafter, Paul is writing to second Timothy and he had already accepted Luke's writings as inspired by the Holy spirit and actually quotes Luke in second Timothy. Right. Amazing to me. And we know that some of that validation occurred because of archeological findings. Mm -hmm. We have parchments, We have uh, about 24,000, and this is amazing. People need to grab a hold of this. 24,000 fragments of early scriptures that were passed along. They didn't have Xerox machines, copiers. Mm -hmm. They didn't do email back then. You (laughs) hand read it over into another parchment and passed it to the next house group, right? House church. And there are fragments. There are like 5,000 very well preserved preserved copies. There is more proof of what the early church accepted as scripture than that Caesar uh, ever lived and wrote right. his great, what was it? The, it wasn't the Iliad, the Hom- Not Homer. 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 Yeah, Homer, you're here trying to refer to uh, Iliad. Yeah, Homer wrote uh, the Iliad. The Iliad and Odyssey, yeah. yep. And um, then Caesar. The Gaelic Wars. Yes. The Gaelic Wars. Uh, the, there's less than a thousand preserved copies. Yeah. yeah, and yet no one questions. Nobody questions it. <laughs> well, the same thing can be true of Alexander the Great. We don't, you don't have contemporary resources. Uh, the contemporary resources, on, in far as written down, the first uh, contemporary resource of Alexander that was written, that we have in our possession, that we actually have copies of it, mm-hmm. is was written 600 years after his death. Yeah, and so you're like, so how how you know how 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 how. You know, affirming is that. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not very. That don't give me a lot of confidence. But yet, we'll totally reject the Bible because it was mm-hmm. some of it was written down fifty years after the fact. I'm like, well, right. I mean, you know, the fragments we have are yes. within a century. Yes, yeah, within I mean, a century. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then in those fragments, we find the authors of the Old and New Testament mm-hmm. being quoted or referenced to one another. So that's another piece of the validation, right? 
written by a prophet or an apostle, widely circulated within the first 100 years of the church's existence, and they, Jesus and the apostles and the other writers of Scripture referenced or quoted back to the other authors. Mm. Right. Those are key pieces of evidence that it's like, and then you just see the cohesiveness of it. You really have to tell yourself the Bible is not the Holy Scriptures to believe they're not truly Scripture. Yeah, when you, like you just said, with the cohesiveness, it just brings such light to the fact that although we have 40 different men writing these these works, there's one author behind them all. Yeah. All right. Just when you when you start to put all these into place. And one of the things, and, and we kind of looked at it already with regard to, uh, you mentioned uh, Peter referencing Paul and back and right. forth. And one of the things I love is in in Second uh, Peter, um, yeah, 3, 15 and 16, Peter is telling them that they have started rejecting Paul's epistles yep. mm. just as they have the rest of scripture. Yeah. And so Peter himself equates mm. what we're going to be looking at with regard to the new Testament yes. as equal and on equal footing with the old Testament. Yes. And that's within 30 years of the church of the church's birth. That's right. Yeah. Well, Powerful. so we've looked like we're making that segue now. So we're going <laughs> to we're going to probably leave the Old Testament behind um, for a little bit. I'm sure we'll reference it back. But before we get there, let's just go ahead and get a few things out of the way. I, if I understand right, the, uh, the 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 primary Jewish what they consider the Jewish uh, the full Jewish scriptures include literally the same Old Testament that we have right now in our Christian Bible. So they're they're tick for tack, and so. Whether it, they accepted it by based off tradition and all those things, it agrees with everything we just said. Because traditionally, they accept the same ones we accept. Uh, and then, as we go into the New Testament, we know we had that gap of time between in there. And then we get into the New Testament, and we know a lot of times that the uh, the men uh, and women of the of the uh, New Testament, Paul specifically, and then and any of the other apostles, whenever they're teaching, and Jesus even when they're teaching. Um, uh, the scriptures, when the Bible will always say they taught the scripture, you guys referenced it earlier, and and people need to know this as well. They didn't have, and I know you've said it many times from the stage, they didn't have the the, the New Testament. That wasn't, they didn't have the uh, the Bible as we know it, of course, and they didn't have any of the New Testament, of course. All they had was the Old Testament. And then that gets us now into the New Testament, which, as Dave has alluded to several times, um, it really gets quite easy when I say easy, I mean easy and from a scholarship sense to explain the authenticity of and, and how the canonization process works in the New Testament. It has been well recorded. It has been well versed, well studied, scrutinized from believers, non-believers alike. And to be honest, it's pretty much held up every, every look. And so if you guys had to talk about the canonization process and how we got the New Testament, how would you begin that? And I'll start with David. Yeah, so with the New Testament, um, the first and foremost test was apostolic authority. authority. Yep, There had to be some tie to an apostle or Jesus directly himself. Mm -hmm. And um, especially with a couple of the books written by Jesus' half-brothers. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but uh, um, so we have this test or this understanding of a having an association with an apostle. Now, 
as I mentioned a little bit ago, we did have a lot of Paul's letters already circulating. Okay, we don't have the official list. When we're talking about the New Testament canon, the 27 books that we have in the New Testament, we don't have that official list until the 4th century, until 367. And so, um, but it doesn't mean that they weren't already right in in place they're they're circulating most all paul's letters were were these universal type letters that were circulated among the churches and and you know in in uh um colossians he says send this over to the laodiceans and then read the letter from laodicea and so you're already circulating these new testament books even though we're not calling them new testament yet no right and and so that apostolic authority, because um, when you look at it, um, you might say, well, Luke's not an apostle. But his, his apostolic authority comes from his proximity, mm-hmm. his being in close relationship to Paul. Right. Yeah, and then you have Mark, um, who, again, not an apostle, but yet has that apostolic authority with Peter. Yeah, with Peter. Yep. And and so you you do have all th- this first and foremost test. And I think that's that's one of the key tests and that's one of the the great things is again you're collecting all these works within a within a century. Right. of the church. Um of course the second test was then they were accepted widely by the the early church fathers. Right. That the the church fathers said yes this is the, these works are and do affirm the teachings of Scripture. That, that um, we've, we've, and again, I believe even in that process, we say the writers were led by the Holy Spirit, but I believe that when the canonization process was taking place, that was also at the direction mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. That's right. Anything to add on that? Well, I mean, it's just yeah, exactly what David said. I think, if I remember right, by 90 AD, so you know, 60 years later, 22 of the 27 books of the New Testament had already been accepted widely and canonized as scripture. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, over the next 300 years, some of them would would be a little slower, like Jude, Second Peter. um, there were valid concerns in and, a lot of cases. Like right. I know the, uh, there was some with the Book of Revelation that we call the Revelation now. There was the, there was a a local cult that had a millennial reign, so they were yeah. they thought it had it had it had seeped its way into that writing, and there was all these other issues. So they wanted, and to me, you think about it, they just took extra precautions, they in which we should to be, be sure. very appreciative. I know exactly yeah. right. Right. I mean, it, it shouldn't cause us to doubt them. It should make us have more confidence. That again, even in apostolic writings, because like you know, a few years ago they come out and say, "Oh, we found the lost letter of Judas." You yeah. know, the Gospel yeah. of Judas. You remember that? Um, yeah. They took the time to validate the authenticity of the writings, the author, the message. The message had to also not contradict all the other scriptures. Right. They had to fit in line the cohesiveness had to be there because you had to see the vein of the holy spirit writing the book widely accepted and so we can come to the new testament now 
and have a lot of confidence. We even have historical writings like the didact of the apostles. Right. They're saying, here's how we live out our Christian life, but they're ref- referenced back to the teachings of Jesus. And then, of course, it was orally, and then the Gospels got recorded, and then you know, the historical writings of Luke that verified through the book of Acts is actually, you know, one of my favorite pieces of literature because you take all the new Testament or a large portion of it, not the book of revelation, of course, that was later, but a big portion of the new Testament. And then you go back to the book of Acts and you have a historical document Mm. that records 30 years. And you can see when Paul was in Ephesus, when he was at Colossus and how he sent a letter to Corinth and all of these pieces, Mm. right? It's like, Pretty absolutely amazing. <laughs> you know, you, since you went to the Gospel of Judas, uh, <laughs> since you did this, you opened that can of worms. By the way, not scripture. We're gonna. That brings up the point. Um, so we know into the New Testament, just like we had the Apocrypha, which is probably not even fair to the Apocrypha, to be honest with you. Where, no. where we, I think we all look at the Apocrypha as being uh, as having value. There was this whole there's whole collection of writings that gets lumped into this thing called the Gnostic writings. Right. And, uh, and so, and if you are old enough, you remember when uh, Dan Brown wrote a book about it, Da Vinci Code, yes. there was a movie that came out <laughs> about it and, and it tried to argue that these were somehow, um, pushed away, uh, because that they, they had hidden truths in them. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and so in, and so here's another part of that. We can talk about that, why they weren't included briefly. And then there's also this idea uh, because we know Paul mentions another letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. We'll just say hypothetically that a third letter to the Corinthians appears. Mm-hmm. What happens with it? <laughs> so we'll start with, we'll go with David. On this <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. So what do you, what's, I love your, it. what's your stance on, on the, the Gnostic quote unquote Gnostic gospels? Of course we know Philip and there's all the different ones they had. Yeah. Um, each one, if you've taken a look at any of them or if you read any of them, which I'd recommend reading some from the uh, um, from the Apocrypha, but yeah. I, I would never recommend anyone to read from some of these other yeah. Gnostic works. But if you're a student of and you want to look into them, it, it, you have to have... And this is something that I've actually been working with some others here, some of the interns, and that's the issue of apologetics. Right. Always being able to give a defense for your faith. Right. And when you read some of these works, you're like, well, that does not conform. There's going to be something in there somewhere. I mean, you mentioned the Da Vinci Code and the whole relationship did Jesus have with Mary and and all that. Mary Magdalene. Magdalene. That is not supported by the rest of scriptures. It's not supported by our own defense of our faith. There's nothing that supports that stuff. And so when you find weaknesses in part, to me, that generates a weakness in the whole. So so why do you not... well, what about this part of the Gospel of Judas or whatever, or the Gospel of Thomas or whichever one you're looking at? Well, the problem is the Holy Spirit did not direct because then the Holy Spirit would have been in conflict with himself right. in these other works. And so that that's 
primarily what I would say is that if you find conflict, if you find a disagreement with the rest of the apostolic teachings, even <clears throat> um, Paul said that should even he mm -hmm. to the Galatians he did. present exactly right. a different gospel. A different, different gospel. gospel. Let me be let me be let me be cursed. Let, yeah. let him be cursed by God, is the way mm -hmm. it says it in Galatians. Yeah. You know, and even says whether even if an angel came and right. presented yep. a different gospel. And, and to me, that's always been with those Gnostic works, my, I mean, some spiritual insight. And of course, we have other letters that are written against the yep. whole Gnostic movement. Right. Yeah. And that that are canonized. And, and John, <laughs> John, John specifically. Yeah, yeah. John specifically. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm going to read one of those verses to us here in just a minute because for some of our, our listeners, they may not understand really what are we referring to when we say a Gnostic yep. gospel. Yep. Right. You know, the whole Gnostic idea was is that all matter is evil. evil. Yep. Therefore, God could not become a man their incarnation couldn't be true that yep. god became a man because if he did then god would become evil right, right or dirty or sinful like us which is by the way why in the for the jewish people they needed to see a virgin born because yep. in their belief system sin was passed down from the father to the child so mary being a virgin not with a man. Jesus' heavenly father is the father, and yeah, he took on uh, flesh through yep. Mary, right? But now he's not considered sinful. The Gnostics would say, all matter is evil. We're all just, you know, messed yep. up, and so God can't become it. So what Jesus was on the earth, according to them, was... The demiurge is what they called it. Yeah. Yeah, a phantom. A phantom. phantom. Yeah. A ghost yeah. walking yep. around. No, you just thought that was real, yep. right? But here's a key verse, and uh, this is why you have to judge what people are preaching and teaching, what you're reading, um, because if it contradicts apostolic teaching of Scripture, then we go back and say Scripture is right. No matter how well-meaning the person was who wrote the other book or the letter or the sermon, it's not correct. Right, and John in Second John said Six, this eight, yeah. in verse uh, chapter one, verse seven and eight. He says, "Many deceivers have gone out into the world." This is this is first century. Yeah, yeah it's early. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Right. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. That is pretty condemning. Stay away yeah. from it. And I will piggyback on a little bit what both of you said. Um, as of again, former atheist, not to hammer it in the ground. Whenever now, when I talk to people, because I never bought the Gnostic Gospels because I didn't believe in anything like this. But the uh, when I talk to somebody now uh, that is that is that's bent on one of those to be included somehow, it's like, well, first off, they're founded on a lie. What is that lie? The fact that they're not the true the author is who not who they claim it to be, right? So Philip didn't write it. Thomas didn't write it. Number two. Um, some things we know about the Gnostics, it's kind of interesting, some of the things they took hold of, um, that the, uh, number one, they were, they really did not like women very much. So the idea that they put so much, that, that, uh, that uh, Dan Brown found so much put, trying to do this whole defined feminine was kind of ironic because mm -hmm. they literally, according to their writings, felt like females were nothing more before the continuization of the species. Yep. And so, but to top it all off, bigger than anything else, there's something interesting about, and you guys have said it over and over again, there's this cohesion 
and there's this beauty to the written word of the scriptures, right? Have you ever read? I've read them, most of the Gnostics that exist. Number one, there's hardly any of them available. There's very, they're fragmented badly, and there's not a whole collection. So most of the words we see in English have been filled in from thin air. Mm. Um, and so, number two, they are very fragmented reads as mm. well. They they're not very cohesive. They're terrible to read. They're not yeah. they they're not yeah. very uh, well written. And number three, they there's never once ever mentioned in any of them a single Jewish or Israelite. Um, um, uh, like a location, a river, a lake, a, a, a point of interest that is in every way you see throughout the Gospels and throughout all the other scripture letters written. and scriptures written. We talk about different uh, uh, pools and we talk about gates and they talk. They had none of that because these were not Jewish people. These were people that were of Greek descent who were had been assimilated by, by the Hellenistic culture and they were trying to dissuade and persuade into a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the end, it's pretty much garbage, yep. but uh, pretty much. So I mean, it's just state of the Bible. It is really where the apocrypha, <laughs> you know, where if you, I know sometimes it seems like some, I know I've heard it from some people's mouths. They vilify the apocrypha where again, yeah. we've said it over and over. That's not fair. Um, there is literal good things to be learned from the apocrypha. There is nothing to be learned yeah. from the Gnostic gospels. Yeah. Right. We're just saying the apocrypha is great to read and reference. It's yes. not, just don't see it as scripture. You can't build a dogma. Don't on build it. a doctrine yeah. around yeah. it. That's just good historical writings. But what we hold and what we believe to be the canon of scripture are the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, and they all point to Jesus. They've been validated through major scrutiny and test, and they have come out, and here we are, right now in our century, still growing and learning from the Word of God, the Holy Spirit still illuminating minds, transforming lives, breaking yokes in our lives, turning us around. There is power to the Word of God, and we can trust it. I believe you're right. I think he concluded it pretty well with that. He had to give a speech, and he gave one. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, but I the, love uh, the scriptures. It was really good. And here's the thing. Like you, we were, we've said – over and over again, it's like, of there's there. You, you mentioned the Homer and the, Ili, uh, the Homer's Iliad and Odyssey mm-hmm. earlier, and nobody ever sits around and dissects it like they do right. the Bible. It has right. been inspected, investigated. Yeah. It has had every Scrutinized. great mind, every scientist, everybody trying to prove what it is not, trying to prove that it is false. All these different things, but in the end, it's still here and it's still yeah. speaking truth, and it's, it's still changing people's lives, and it's still yeah. leading people in a direction that only Jesus could lead you, and yet yet it's, it's survived all of these attacks. You know, I remember, I remember hearing Adrian Rogers talk about the, the power and the beauty of the Word of God and, and all the attacks against Scripture. You know, and for centuries they attacked all of the book of Leviticus, because it is difficult to yep. read. And you're right, you're right. Why, why are we burning houses after being sick for seven days and, and, and all of this stuff? And what does it mean? The life's in the power, the power of life's in the blood, yep. you know? And even our <clears throat> first president of the United States literally died from right. bloodletting, right? Yep. I mean, yep. they're draining him of his blood yep. because he thought that's where the disease was. <clears throat> but the word of God for thousands of years said, life's in the power of the blood. And, uh, now, then, in the last you know couple hundred years, medical science goes back to the Book of Leviticus and finds out what God was saying back there actually is true because we didn't know about viruses and bacteria and germs. 
Right. Yeah. And he actually yeah. was protecting the people. So uh, one time Adrian said, you know, when somebody comes up with the new latest finding and says, oh, you know, I, I believe this contradicts scripture, just stick around long enough. Science eventually will will catch back up. <laughs> right. There'll be another finding. You know, for years they said Pilate didn't exist. Right. And then an archaeological dig one day comes up with a stone from first century and whose name is on the stone? Yeah, Mr. Pilate. There's Mr. Pilate, right? right. So, yeah, it's uh, God's given us enough to give us confidence. It's fact. Well, we're going to wrap up this uh, episode of Life on Point. And as always, we hope you'll go ahead and throw some comments down there. We know this has been a pretty deep subject matter, so we didn't cover everything. We did get into even the Dead Sea Scrolls or any of those type of things. But if you have any questions or concerns, man, put them down in the comments. Ask a question. Maybe we'll try to answer it next time we do a Life on Point. And we tell you what, until we see you next time, we hope you live a life complete and a life on point. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.